Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hi, fellow football fan. Football culture in Morocco is totally unique. The country is absolutely crazy about football, and the local football clubs have some of the most impressive fan bases in the world. However, outside of Morocco, the Moroccan football culture isn't very well known, even though it has proven it definitely deserves to be. So, with that said, we're going to take a deep dive into Moroccan football culture in this podcast episode. I spoke with a Moroccan female international player, a Moroccan ultra, and several experts on Moroccan football to bring you the complete story. My name is Sam van Raalte, and welcome to The Home of Football, a podcast powered by 433. We're going to kick this episode off with the Moroccan women's national team. Just recently, they made history by becoming Morocco's first female national team to qualify for a World Cup. Samia Hassani is one of the young forwards of the team. I called her after the Moroccan women qualified for the 2023 Women's World Cup. Here's Samia on just how much the national women's team means to Morocco, as well as their historic World Cup qualification. To be honest, I didn't know that there were like so many people uh, wanted to come see us at games at the qualification game the last one the stadium was like full like mm. there were like people outside who didn't came in anymore because the stadium was so full so i was very proud and very happy to see everyone is supporting us and loving us and helping us th- through this journey yeah yeah what's the vibe like in the national team 
the vibe is very good the spirit is very good we feel like um it's not just a team we feel like we're really a real family uh everyone have have has a lot of fun with each other everyone is good with each other included the staff with us and we're with the staff so it's a very good vibe we have at the moment all right and uh, of course uh, what was the party like after you qualified <laughs> the party was good um i think we partied the most of the time with the fans in the stadium and then we were like uh partying in the dressing room in the bus uh back in the in the hotel so we the party was good till 2 a.m in the morning <laughs> So uh, we enjoyed it and uh, we laughed so much. So uh, we deserved it. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Could you feel, you know, what this meant for, for the country, for Morocco, that their women's national team for the first time ever qualified for the World Cup? Yeah, it's a very complicated feeling. Uh, it's just, it's not only feeling proud, but it's so much more than that. Because like you said, uh, we never qualified for... Uh, the World Cup, but we even never um, get to the semi-finals in an Africa Cup of women's. We write this year so much history and we are, we are very proud. Mm. And I hope we do our best the whole year to to train good and feel uh, staying in this feeling to reach more in the, in the World Cup, the Women's World Cup for next year. Alright, so it's fair to say the women's national team of Morocco is on fire at the moment. But what about Morocco's men's national league, also known as the Botola Pro? I can start off by saying that football clubs in this league have some of the most fanatic fans in the world. The biggest rivalry in the country is the Casablanca Derby played by Raja Casablanca versus Widat Casablanca. Ultra culture is very popular in Morocco and these clubs have massive ultra sections. Omar Kabaj is a fanatic Raja Casablanca fan. I called him to get to know what it's like to be a fanatic football fan in Morocco. Here's Omar. The thing here is when the ultra scene emerged in Morocco, the football on the pitch was not that good. Well, it's not that good uh, either now. Uh, so I think that the fans wanted to to show that they can make football by 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 I don't know by making the show in the stands. If the if the football is not good on the pitch, probably in the stands it would be better. And there is Moroccan culture, this this this, this sense of or this obsession with um, with uh, who, who will who will make things better, who will do things better between the cities. You know, there is a big rivalry between cities, not only in football, on all uh, aspects of life. So. When it uh, when it arrived in Morocco, it was Raja Casablanca who, who Raja Casablanca fans who, who who brought it to Morocco. They were the first, so they started it, and then we did. We did fans uh, followed, and then ISFAR, which is the club of the capital, uh, Rabat, they followed, and so on and so on. So I think that that what makes it really really interesting because it's not only about football; it's 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 really about which city can 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 do it better on all aspects of life you know what's a usual match day like for you usually you, you go you go very early to the stadium grab a grab a snack meet meet your friends and and in the stands and wait for it and what happens usually but before games 
that some some kind of training, you know. So the ultras they they start chanting two hours or three hours before some kind of, re- of rehearsal, you know. <laughs> um, uh, and then and then the game starts, and you don't really care about about the football on the pitch. I mean, you 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 watch you, you watch you watch the watch the game. As I said before, it's not that good, so you don't really care about what's happening on the pitch, apart from you know derby games or big Champions League games. So you, you always follow what's 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 happening in, in the behind the goals. So basically, that, that's it. You just just follow the follow the mood of the of the capo, who is uh, the the leader of the of the ultras, and always try to, to make it sound as as good as possible. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the derby. You know, the Casablanca derby is one of the most fierce rivalries in in football in the world of football, uh, maybe even the the fiercest rivalry. What can you tell me about this rivalry and how you experience it as a fan? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I've been to I've been to some 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 stadiums in in Europe and South America, but. Like I can, I can, I can, I can tell you that it's, it's really unique. I mean, I've been to Boca Juniors, I've been to to places in 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 Europe like Marseille and stuff, but I've never seen something as as electric as 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 the as the Raja with that derby. It's um, it's it's very it's very particular because you know it's 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 one of the only derbies in the world where the stadium is divided half half and half. Whether it's Raja who, who 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 plays at home or it's Widal who plays at home, you'll always find 50% for, for Raja fans and 50% without fans. So it makes the the, the the atmosphere very 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 tense, and um, so it's, it's, it's always a great show. To gain a deeper understanding of ultra culture in Morocco, I called Maher Mezahi. He's a football journalist from Algeria who specializes in Northern African football. Over the years, he's made several documentaries on ultraculture. All across North Africa and Morocco, Algeria and Tunisia, um, the stadium is kind of like a sanctuary for a special kind of demographic. Um, if you go to a football stadium across the Maghreb, really, uh, you'll find that more than 90% of club football fans are young uh, men, uh, not old men, not young children uh, and fortunately not a lot of women either even though there are more in Tunisia and Morocco than in Algeria Um, but you find young men and uh, I'm going to stereotype here but almost of a a certain class uh, usually uh, didn't do great in school Um, and these are gross generalizations and definitely not all football fan is like this but you it's sort of there's a, a specific demographic that carved out their own space and that appropriated their space, and that space became the stadium. Uh, that's where they feel uh, wanted. That's where they feel that they belong in a society that kind of rejects them. Um, so I think that's really the, the main uh, cultural importance for a lot of young men is that the stadium and ultra groups in particular give these young men a place to, to belong. And I think that's why it's so important in Morocco. Yeah, and and in which ways uh, do you think this gives them a sense of of personal and collective identity? It's absolutely huge. Um, as soon as you join one of these ultra groups, all of a sudden you're admitted into a larger family. 
you have all of a sudden a sense of purpose every single week. You are essential to your team winning or losing. A team which is supported by you know millions of people around the country. You have a direct hand in 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 that by displaying your support, by motivating the players. So all of a sudden, like, again, you feel very important. You're part of a larger family. And then in terms of uh, making the, the group proud, you know, in terms of choreography, competing with other groups, uh, you, you take all of this on almost immediately as soon as you're admitted into the group. So you can see why it's very almost uh, intoxicating for a lot of young men. A young man. Uh, what do you know about the political influences these ultra sections can have in Morocco? So unlike, let's say, European ultras, um, I was in Germany recently. So when I was speaking to football fans, they would tell me, you know, this ultra group is uh, extreme left. This ultra group is extreme right. Uh, part of the same club, they clash all the time. You don't really find that too much in North Africa. You don't have um, ultra groups that situate themselves along a political spectrum of left and right. Usually you'll find that almost All ultra groups, yeah, 99% of them, will be anti-establishment, anti-government. Everybody has the same politics in that sense. They don't go into left, right, racist, not racist. That doesn't really, fascist, not fascist. That doesn't really enter the equation. So instead, what you have is this demographic of young men all of a sudden talking about their everyday life. Because what you have to know is that North African fans from the Maghreb are unique in the world and that they are more musical than o- almost any sense of supporter. That doesn't mean that they sing more than other supporters, but that means that they produce actual music tracks that can be, they can range from three to five minutes long. Like, you know, like, and like your favorite commercial artist, they'll, the ultra groups will produce this music. They'll sell it as a CD or on a flash disc on the street. Uh, they'll produce as much as, 10 songs per year sometimes and the best two three songs will be you know adopted by the group and they'll they'll memorize the lyrics and they'll sing this in the stadium and often they sing about the love for the club but they also sing about their everyday life so uh you know the society doesn't like us it's ruining all the potential of young people uh we want to leave uh take a boat and go to europe all of these are very common themes that you can find uh in songs in football stadiums in North Africa. And they're very political. They're just talking about the everyday life, but they end up being very political. Uh, One of the main songs, for example, that I can cite is from uh, a Raja Casablanca ultra group. And it's called Fi Bledi Dalmuni, which means in my country, they've oppressed me. And it's just all they're doing is blaming the, the government about why they feel oppressed in their own country. And it became a very popular song, not just in Morocco, but also in Algeria and Tunisia, because so many people identified with it. That's that's crazy. That's so so interesting. So, how do media portray these ultras in in Morocco and in North Africa as a whole? Yeah, media are kind of you know they have a bipolar um, attitude towards ultras. You know, when they see a fantastic uh, choreography or a fantastic display, uh, something that can make the country proud, you know, they'll they'll boast about these ultra groups. Oh, look how great Moroccan supporters are! Look how great Algerian supporters are! Look how great. But as soon as uh, there's something that maybe is not so, uh, something a little more controversial. So let's say, for example, there is some violence that erupts between a set of ultra groups uh, or an ultra group or supporters, let's say, 
um, break chairs in a stadium and throw them on the pitch. Then they almost turn around, do a complete 180 and start criticizing ultra groups. And Morocco in particular um, has it the worst because Tunisia, after the Tunisian revolution, they, what they simply did is they limited attendance. So there's been an attendance cap in Tunisia for a very long time. Uh, initially, it was after the Tunisian revolution. It was just an excuse for crowd control. And now they're saying they don't have maybe the infrastructure is not ready for full capacity. And they almost sucked the soul out of Tunisian club football in a way that they did with Egyptian football to a much, much worse degree after the revolution as well. But in Moroccan football, uh, they out and out sometimes ban ultra groups. So they've done it for two years at a time, for example. Uh, I think four or five years ago, they banned uh, Raja Casablanca for several months at a time after there were deaths uh, from violent clashes. And all of a sudden, ultra groups, some government officials would go on and name them as terrorist groups. And that's, you know, quite extreme. So media very has this, have a two-faced approach when dealing with ultra groups. At times they love them and at times they're, they're the worst scum in the world. You already mm. mentioned uh, Raja Casablanca. The Casablanca Derby is, of course, the big derby of, uh, of Morocco. What can you tell me about this derby and what it means to the nation? It's massive. Look, I was in Morocco about a month ago. I ha unfortunately have never been to the derby. Um, but I managed to go to the CAF Champions League final. It was between Widad Casablanca uh, of Morocco and Al Ahli of Egypt. And I've been to, I would say, almost 200 football matches in my life, uh, matches in Europe and North America uh, and in Africa. The atmosphere that the Widad Casablanca supporters generated on that evening, I think, was the most intimidating atmosphere that I've ever been to. They're special. Um, in terms of their choreography, in terms of their non-stop whistling when the opponent has the ball, in terms of, the, again, the music, the songs, even the, the action. So, uh, you know, they sing this song, they're going to uh, turn the, the flashlight on, on their phone, wave it in certain directions. They sing the next song, they're going to maybe uh, turn their backs to, to the pitch, jump around from side to side. So everything was very choreographed. Everything was very organized. They were all unified. They didn't stop singing. It was truly and honestly the best atmosphere that I'd ever experienced. And that was just from Widad Casablanca. Yeah. And when I was there, they were telling me that the derby's coming up. There were two derbies coming up. There was one for the Throne Cup, which is the, the, the cup competition in Morocco. And there was one in the league that was going to be decisive because the two were at the top of the table. And... Uh, they, there was also a friendly coming up for the Moroccan national team who are going to go play in the United States. And there was the Champions League final, uh, Real Madrid against uh, Liverpool. I can promise you that they were anticipating that Casablanca derby far more than any other match, even though the derby was two, three weeks away and the Champions League final was maybe a day or two away. Hmm. That match is of such importance in that country. And I can only imagine that you know they, they generate such a crazy atmosphere. And I think for any... Anybody that loves ultra groups or that's fascinated by them uh, or that loves North African football culture, it's that match is sort of like a pilgrimage. People have to go and, and watch that match because it's just so unique and definitely the best derby, in my opinion, in terms of the fan-generated atmosphere on the continent. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. A lot of Moroccan people emigrated to other countries in the 20th and 21st centuries, such as France and the Netherlands. For these Moroccan people, the national team is something that keeps them connected to their motherland. Youssef Ghazouani is a Moroccan-Dutch football journalist. I spoke with him about the meaning of the national team for the Moroccan people. Here's Youssef. The meaning is very strong because um, when you raise up like a little kid, uh, like for me in the Netherlands, I always had uh, a feeling about about the Moroccan culture, around Moroccan football, because uh, if you go on, on holiday in Morocco, you always see people wearing the shirt of Morocco. All the people in, in Morocco tell you that oh, if you one day become a footballer, please choose Morocco. <laughs> so the feeling is very strong. And uh, if you have like the choice between two uh, nations or between Morocco and between the Netherlands, you always follow your, um, like for, for me, for example, your, your background. It's it's a special feeling, and when you hear the national anthem, it's like uh, something special because your parents were born there, and uh, the the feeling is very strong. So let's talk about the development of the national team. So the FA was founded in 1955 after uh, the French rule stopped in uh, Morocco. A couple of years later, uh, the national team played uh, their first matches. And then after 1998, there is a big gap, right? There's like 20 years yeah. without Morocco featuring at a World Cup. So what happened to the national team in those two decades? I think that they did not... Uh, they were not very lucky because at uh, 2004, uh, when Bedou Seki was the, the coach, uh, they uh, reached the finals of the Africa Cup in mm. uh, in, Tuna, in uh, Tunisia. But after that, we had a lot of coaches who were uh, not very experienced. Um, and we also had like, um, yeah, a lot of players who did not want to, to, to play for Morocco. Mm. Uh, and it was also a downfall to like the places of 80, of 90 at the FIFA ranking. Wow. They were very, very low at that time. Um, you also had the period that, that the coaches even did not want to select players from Europe. Oh. So you had like Morocco who were only players from playing at, uh, at the squad of, uh, at the competition of Morocco. So there was also a period that people did not want to watch uh, Morocco because the level was very low. But at 2013 or 12, I think, uh, the Moroccan uh, Association um, uh, uh, decided to, to, to let Eric Gerrits uh, to become the, the, the national coach. And after that, uh, with the period of Marwan Shamak with Hussein Karsha, uh, the squad went uh, a little bit up. What, what you see sometimes in African countries, South Africa is, of course, a world away from, from uh, Morocco. But what you sometimes see is that uh, the South African players, for example, who play in Europe, they get kind of a bad rep in their home country because, well, uh, they are perceived as being maybe arrogant because they play in Europe. Or there sometimes is a little bit of friction between the local players and the players from abroad. Is that what happened as well in Morocco? Yeah, yeah. We also uh, noticed that uh, you say um, 
you had players from France, from Spain, but also from Morocco. And uh, we as supporters uh, notice very often that uh, like on training, uh, uh, when we see like training uh, videos, that you can always see that the players from Morocco were always uh, together and the players from Netherlands were all, always together. So there was no interaction between those players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can also hear some stories that people, that the players from like Europe went by private jet uh, to uh, to Morocco and the players from Morocco, when they noticed that, that the, the feeling was so... Uh, yeah. yeah. So not not really a team. It team, was it right? was not really a team indeed. And also one of the biggest problems in Morocco also nowadays is the language. We have like in Morocco we have the Derija, the Arabic language. We also had the, the Terifi, the Temesik language, the the Berber dialect. Hmm. But there was a, a lot of players who play like in Europe uh, don't talk uh, those two languages. They only talk a uh, Dutch or English or French. So when they go into uh, to Morocco and when they want to interaction interact with the players from Morocco they don't know which language uh, they can talk mm. and we also had uh, back in the days coaches from Morocco who could not talk in English or uh, French, for yeah example. French for mm. example very well so that interaction uh, was was also not uh, not not good uh, interesting interesting all right but in 2018 Morocco did manage to qualify. So what was the lead up to that World Cup and what's the story of that World Cup from Morocco's perspective? The story of that World Cup was the coach, Hervé Renard. Uh, at that time, we had the new president, Fauci Laksha, and his main job at that time was to qualify uh, for the World Cup. Mm. So um, he decided to uh, to bring uh, Hervé Renard who succeeded with Zambia, with uh, Ivory Coast uh, in uh, in, Euro- in in Africa, so he had a lot of uh, experience. Uh, but what Hervé Renard did was to to uh, reach a, co- a collective between uh, young players and very experienced players. So at that time, we had uh, players like Benatia, Busufa, El Amadi, Nordin Amrabat, who were very experienced at that moment. We, we also had very talented players like Sufian Amrabat, uh, Youssef Fonseri, who plays now for Sevilla. So he managed to make like a, a, a very, uh, uh, how do you say it, balanced team. Mm. So that was his, uh, his job and uh, the main match was against Ivory Coast. Uh, Morocco won in uh, in uh, in Abidjan for two zero. So that's why, uh, yeah, we qualified. Uh, <laughs> waiting for twenty years to qualify for a World Cup. Yeah. What was the vibe like in Morocco when? The country it, it was huge. It exploded, <laughs> but also here in Europe, it exploded because people were, yeah, like for for my generation, it was like the second World Cup, and we yeah. waited for that long, but it, it exploded. And also in Morocco, people couldn't believe that uh, Morocco <laughs> did qualify for uh, for the World Cup. So the feeling was huge, and everybody everybody was, uh, yeah, enthusiastic to 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 follow the Morocco at the World Cup. Yeah. So the World Cup was in Russia back then. How did it go? I went also to Russia to visit the last uh, group match, but when <laughs> when I went to Russia, I already knew that we would not qualify for the next stage because we lost against uh, Iran and uh, and Portugal. But the vibe there was uh, was very nice. Uh, Moroccans from all over the world, not only from Morocco, but from like South America, from North America, Asia. All Moroccans from all the whole world went to Russia to visit that match. 
and they already knew that we would not qualify for the next round. But I think the match against Spain was was the best match. We played two two, but uh, it was very nice. Also, the vibe in the stadium was uh, unforgettable. Yeah. So now we're we're working to the next World Cup, the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. Morocco qualified again. So they'll be there. The manager has just been uh, fired. Yeah. Why was mm-hmm. he fired and what's the situation? Yeah, the reason that Fahit Aliyosic is fired is, the, is because uh, uh, the people in Morocco think that he was just lucky that Morocco qualified for a, for a World Cup because Morocco did not uh, play against very strong opponents. Mm-hmm. And that the last match uh, uh, against uh, Congo, also in Congo, was not very good. But in Casablanca, Morocco won because of the the people uh, in the stadium uh, but he's like a people who doesn't communicate very well with his supporters and also has very big uh, arguments with uh, with Hakim Siyah Masrawi but also with Belhanda so um, yeah the people in Morocco are not very satisfied with him and they uh, want like a Moroccan coach so a coach who knows the Moroccan football very well uh, and who has the Moroccan identity so that's why uh, the the uh, the president chose to uh, to bring uh, Wally to Gregory. That's the coach who was the coach of Wydad Casablanca um, to let him be the new coach of uh, of the national squad uh, because he uh, won the the national uh, competition with Morocco with uh, Wydad Casablanca, but also the African Champions League. So he's very experienced. He also played at 2004 uh, African Nations uh, final uh, with Morocco. Uh, and he's also born in France, so he has the two uh, nationalities. So he knows how Moroccans in Europe feel and how to communicate with them. But he also knows the the situation in Morocco because he was also a coach of uh, Fusrabat in Morocco. So he also has that experience. And he was also an Asia coach in Qatar. So uh, hmm. he has is very experienced coach and also a coach who really wanted to be uh, the, the the national uh, hmm. yeah national coach. So. So what do you expect from Morocco during the upcoming World Cup? Uh, To be honest, I think that we are in a very tough group with Belgium, with Croatia, with Canada. I think Belgium is now the second at the FIFA ranking. So um, I think they have a very, very strong squad. Croatia also reached the finals at the last World Cup against France. So I think that like in 2018, when we draw Spain or Portugal, we're not very lucky with the draw. But if you can uh, play a good match against Croatia, the first match, then maybe there will be uh, possibilities to to grow in the tournament. But if you look at uh, the, the squad of Morocco right now, we have very good players who play like Champions League, for example, Bounou and Seri. Uh, Masraoui went to Bayern München but we also are very uh, I won't uh, define them as weak but players who not play at a very good uh, level uh, for the left back we don't even have a second left back and the second left back is a left back who plays in Morocco but it's not that very good uh, so I think it's not the squad is not balanced very well. And I think if you play against Belgium or against Croatia, their squad is, is very, very balanced. And 
there will be very tough matches. But yeah, a World Cup match, the, the positive vibe for Morocco is that you play in Qatar. And there are a lot of Moroccans who are living in Qatar. And I think that will be like a, a home match for all Arabic countries who play in, uh, in Qatar. So I think that if the audience uh, can help to be the 12th man for Morocco, then there will be maybe a chance. But it all depends on the, the first match against Croatia. Will you go there as well? No. <laughs> <laughs> I had tickets. Really? I had tickets, yes, for the match, but uh, I'm soon getting married, so it's not very... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> it's not a very good uh, good time to go over there, but, but it, it, it was on my agenda. But at, yeah. that, uh, at that moment, when I got the, the ticket matches, I decided not to go, but a lot of friends uh, of mine will go over there. Yeah. Will you be on your honeymoon then? I will be on my honeymoon at that <laughs> moment, yeah. <laughs> Well, congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Let's hope Morocco will do well at both the upcoming Men's World Cup and the Women's World Cup next year. I want to thank Samia Hassani, Omar Kabaj, Mahar Mezahi and Yusuf Ghazouani for taking the time for these interviews. They offered us some invaluable insights into Moroccan football culture. Follow this podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. And if you want to support us, simply share our podcast or give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. That actually really helps us to get the word out. All right, my name is Sam van Raalte. Thank you for listening and on to the next story in the home of football. Hi guys, Frank here. I just filmed the podcast with 433. I'm Rafa Ferdinand. I'm Mario Götze. My name is Clarence Seedorf. Hi, I'm Sunil Chetri. I just finished my podcast with 433. Yo, what's going on, people? It's your boy, Adi Barakin Fermer, a.k.a. Mr. Beast Mode. And I just finished the podcast with 433. Hi, 433 fans. It's Don Robbie in the building, right? And we are here for a great podcast. I want you to check it out. Hi, 433. I am Fabrizio Romano. Check out my story on the podcast. It was a great pleasure. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 